0: I am so excited to tell you all about the Mental Health Sunday resource. It includes everything your church would need to host an Invitational Sunday experience on mental health and faith. Hope Made Strong, along with mission-minded partners, have created digital resources that include research notes, sermon ideas, video, social, and marketing assets, and a seven-day devotional. Plus, there are community invitations, congregate giveaways, and editable digital files. If you're interested in downloading this free resource, go to mentalhealthsunday.com.
1: I was a master of the mask for that position. And I thought, you know, if I'm a leader, if I will just, you know, wear this title, no one will know that I'm struggling. No one will know all these things that I'm going through. Again, because I I had convinced myself that if I was struggling, I was doing something wrong when that, you know, that's not true. But don't we do that? We convince ourselves if we're struggling and messing up, then we, we have to be doing something wrong.
0: From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. We want to do that without burning out, so listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe and welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. On the show today, we are continuing our series in honoring of Mental Health Awareness Month and talking about anxiety and depression. The goal this month is to build awareness of different mental illnesses. And we're going to be doing some myth-busting and highlight some incredible people who have lived experience, but have taken what have been some of the hardest and most darkest moments of their life and are now using them to equip and strengthen others. And today we get to hear from the amazing author, Karis Snyder. She is a ministry leader, author, and has lived experience with anxiety and depression. Depression and anxiety really can affect anybody, Christians, seniors, children, corporate leaders, and even missionaries an individual's experience of anxiety or depression is unique to them with varying severity episodes experiences triggers and causes so as a caregiver and ministry leader we need to try to avoid making assumptions it's human nature to try to find out what a co- what causes their ailment or their struggles and that will give us a, so that will give us a simple strategy to fix it but mental health isn't logical like that. Most often, there is really no clear line between cause and effect, or there certainly is not a simple solution to fix a problem. Depression, it can be triggered by a one-off event or by a long-term unhelpful thought pattern. Many people never know what caused it. And if two people have depression, it is unlikely that the cause is the same. Now, anxiety, now that's unique because we all experience some sort of anxiety. But some people are more prone to it than others. Anxiety can also rise up really quickly in response to stress or sometimes without any obvious cause or reason. Think of it as like a smoke alarm or smoke detector. It warns you that something significant is about to happen, but sometimes it becomes too sensitive and is triggered too often. If someone is struggling with anxiety, there may be different triggers like phobias or a generally heightened sense of feeling anxious and weighed down by worry. And then there are panic attacks. These are moments when powerful physical symptoms are triggered by anxiety. Symptoms like sweating, chest pain, or dizziness, which are really scary and can cause people to think that something serious might be happening, like a heart attack. And, or perhaps they're worried about being fainting or even being sick. And this, again, this cycles and sparks more anxiety, making the physical symptoms worse. Both anxiety and depression can be crippling, making it so that people are unable to get out of bed or follow instructions or engage in social activities. Now, the good news, the good news is that both anxiety and depression are treatable. The most common treatment options for depression and anxiety are a combination of approaches including cognitive behavioral therapy and relaxation techniques. Cognitive behavioral therapy is just a fancy word for a therapy method that looks at how someone's thoughts, feelings, and behavior are all linked together and working towards shifting or improving one area because then the positive impacts will be be felt in other areas. Medications are also a helpful tool. Some may be resistant to medication saying, I don't want to be on medication my whole life. And I get that in a practical sense, like I forget to floss my teeth often. So I would actually need to have some sort of system in place if my well-being depended on me remembering to take medication. But if something was physically wrong with me and medication was going to make it better, I would not question it. And I would ensure to put that system in place. And oftentimes there really is something physical not working as it should in, in people's brain chemistry and medication for depression and anxiety will make it better. For those who continue to be concerned, I offer this analogy. When you're wanting to build a house, you first start with a foundation. Now, I am not a house builder. So if this is inaccurate, I apologize. But this is my thought process that you need to start with digging a hole and laying a foundation. And it's often concrete. And in order for the concrete to harden and become strong enough to support a house, you need to have a wooden form or framing to hold all in that liquid concrete in place until it dries. Think of medication as those wooden forms, giving you stability and allowing you time to build a strong foundation through therapy and skill building so that you have the strength to build your life upon it. I want to address some myths about anxiety and depression as well. And the first myth is that it's obvious when someone has anxiety or depression. And although anxiety and depression can be extremely debilitating for some people, it's often not noticeable to others around them. Having anxiety doesn't mean you can't leave your house or, or depression and you can't get out of bed. There are thousands of people working, going to school, leading and worshiping while struggling with racing thoughts, constant worry, and questioning their worth and value. These people are working very, very hard to live their daily lives and have developed coping strategies to continue on with life responsibilities. And the second myth is that anxiety and depression can be prayed away, or it can go away on its own. And while I am not denying that God can and does continue to do miracles and heal people from anxiety and depression, it's often just that. It's a miracle. Those who have recovered from anxiety and depression, and yes, recovery is possible, they have worked very hard in therapy and on their own to challenge these negative thoughts, beliefs, and feelings and replace it with healthy messages. And it often takes years or a lifetime, or for some, it never happens and they continue to struggle and it's a daily walk. Mental health isn't a logical disorder where you can say the, say these four things or do these five steps and you're going to see full recovery and healing. People are working through decades of patterns of thought and beliefs that they, and trying to undo negative messages. And that is in addition to finding and working with uh, doctors and and medications, trying to find a balance and rectifying the brain chemistry issues. God has the capacity to heal. I am not questioning that in any way, but someone's struggle with anxiety or depression does not, is not a reflection of the person's faith just as someone struggle with diabetes or heart disease that is not a reflection of someone's faith journey it's therapy medication and a ton of hard work that is the pathway to recovery for most people I was speaking in a group just last week when someone shared that they had never publicly shared that they struggle with anxiety, depression before. That was the very first time because they were silenced by the heavy weight of shame. And I'm here to say that you have nothing to be ashamed of. If you are experiencing depression and anxiety, you have absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, you are probably the hardest working person in the room. You are strong as you continually face situations and circumstances that are terrifying, and yet you continue to put one foot in front of the other. Kara Snyder is an authored the 31-day devotional called Anxiety Elephant after her journey with depression and anxiety. Karis was a ministry leader when the grip of anxiety began to tighten around her life. She grew up in southern Alabama with an older sibling and twin brother, and as a child she faced severe bullying due to having a mild form of cerebral palsy that impacted her left side of her body. Karis describes that for the rest of her life, she strived to fit in, not be centered out, and avoided anything that she might fail at. Yeah
1: so yeah uh, so we moved here to Alabama and I have lived here my entire life like my husband and I um, we met in Alabama. I went to college at the University of Alabama but um, I love it here. It's been home for me. I was actually, you know, I was born with a mild form of cerebral palsy in the left side of my body. So I had to I had to learn how to overcome that because my parents did not want me to think that, I was any less than than my brother, that I was any less than than the other kids that I grew up around. And so my dad was adamant that that was not going to define me. And he was adamant for me to do those physical therapy exercises and just to learn because he wanted me to see that just because I had to do things differently, didn't mean that I couldn't do things. And so I, I was very appreciative of that. But because of that c- cerebral palsy, I was made fun of as a very young child in first grade. I still remember that moment. I'm a 40-year-old woman, and I can still remember that classmate gathering everyone around me and saying, yeah, he was like, hey, Karis, why don't you hold your arm up like that? And he held up his arms the way I held my left arm up, like a bunny rabbit. And he said, that's what I looked like. And he started hopping around me. Um, It was so cruel. And everybody laughed, of course, because he was a class clown anyway. Um, And he was just he was going for laughs. He didn't realize that that was going to stick with me for the rest of my life. He didn't realize that that was going to really kind of cause me to think that I was going to be rejected you know, and that I needed to hide and that I needed to just try to be perfect at only the things that I, that I thought, you know, I could succeed at. So I wouldn't put myself in that position anymore. Um, But I remember that moment. Um, It was very, it was very integral for me growing up, you know, because I did begin to put a lot of pressure on myself because I didn't want to face who wants to face being rejected, right? And being made fun of. And so as a six-year-old, I mean, that, that stuck with me for, I mean, still to this day. Now, I do believe, I know that God used that for good eventually in my life, but I taught myself early on those negative ways of coping, you know, to hide, don't deal with things, push it down, push it down, and just try to mask it by, you know, overcompensating and everything else that I did in my life. Um, so, so growing up, you know, I, I was very much only doing things that, that I knew I could do. I was very fearful. Um, you know, I'm still afraid of the dark to this day. My poor husband, we sleep with a TV on cause I need a light, you know, to kind of be shining in the room, but I was just a very fearful kid. Um, but my youth pastor, he really helped me to kind of get over some fear of, of wanting to be in front of people. He helped me to, to see that God had given me an ability to speak, a gift to speak and to be a leader. And he really spoke life into me and he believed in me. And he put me in positions of leadership where I was like, listen, I'm, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> and he just had all this faith in me as a teenager. I mean, can you, I mean, if you go back and think about yourself as a teenager and to know that an adult looks at you and believes in you. And they don't see a, a disability in you. They don't see your, what you lack. Even though he knew those things about me, he saw me. I think he saw me kind of the way God sees us and is like, Hey, there's these great gifts inside of you. Let's use them. It's okay. If they're not perfect. It's okay. If they're, if they're not all together in this, you know, perfectly tied bowed package, just go for it. And I think for him, yeah, he saw purpose in me and you know, I think about teenagers today, just how powerful that is, you know, for just one, all it takes is one, one adult to look at you and see your potential, to see your purpose, even though you may lay down in your bed every night and wonder, what do I have to offer? He believed in me. He saw that in me. And that really just took me into a a different place that I don't think I could have been if he would not have seen that in me. Mm.
0: That's so good. I often talk to churches about care ministry and what is care ministry. And I say belonging, purpose, and hope. You can't be all things, all people. You can't feed everyone. You can't counsel everyone. There are limitations to what you have, but you can help people find belonging, purpose, and hope in every single person. And what an amazing story. What an amazing story. Wow. Yeah.
1: I love that. You know, just to help people belong. And help people have hope, you know, it just, that one, that one little seed that you plant can change someone's life, you know, forever, or if they do as they grow up to be an adult and move into those adult years, even though we struggle, which I had my struggles as an adult, I can go back to those moments that, hey, there is purpose, you may doubt your purpose right now, but remember, you do have purpose, and you can go back and see those faces so you know, I'm forever grateful to my youth pastor. His name's Joey Hill. I'm still friends with him and his <laughs> wife today. I will be forever grateful to them.
0: Yeah. Wow. wow. What a, an amazing transformation story. And so did that start you on a journey, a different pathway? Where did that lead you? Or did did it take a while for those messages and that um, that purpose to settle in your heart?
1: <clears throat> you know, it's very interesting. It took me on a pathway to get me into to college, to, you know, to leave my home, to leave that safe place and to face that fear and to go and to, and that, uh, opened up doors where I met my husband and I met some lifelong friends, but I also found myself falling into severe anxiety and depression as an adult. And because of that, I did hit rock bottom where I began to wonder, am I really needed here? on this earth, do I really have something to, to offer, to give to people? Because I was just really struggling with the anxious feelings that I was having inside. And I denied they were there. I denied the existence of anxiety and depression. And honestly, you know, I would tell people when I would, they would come to me for encouragement. My answer, unfortunately to them would be, Hey, um, just read your Bible more. Do you just need to trust God more? Uh, pray harder, work harder. And if I knew you really well, my answer and my encouragement in parentheses would be, well, you just need to suck it up, Buttercup. I mean that is not, you know encouraging. So then when I began to realize, hey, anxiety and depression, this is very real. I mean, it felt like quicksand pulling me down and I I could not get up out of that. So I did begin to think that I was purposeless, hopeless, useless, and worthless. And that everyone would be better off without me, my family, my friends, you know, the ministry that I was involved with. And so in that moment of hitting rock bottom, I can remember it was like, God just took his big gentle hands and just lifted my chin and said, look up. And in that, he reminded me, took me back to those voices like that youth pastor who did believe in me, who, who said, you do have a purpose. You do have a plan and God began to use those voices. But then he began to use, you know, a counselor in my life, a, um, my doctor in my life. And he began to remind me, Hey, I'm not mad at you because you're going to this struggle. You're struggling. We, we, We all struggle, but I have had put that pressure on myself that I couldn't struggle, that I had to have it all together. And I mean, none of us, we can't meet that. And God himself does not even put that expectation on us so he began you know to heal and restore and just to remind me of those voices in my past but then the the voices he put in my life in those present moments to work through that and just to remember you do have a purpose and you have a hope and these struggles are part of that purpose because you know God wastes nothing and I love that he wastes Absolutely nothing. I I think about that story when he fed the 5,000 and how they picked up the scraps of leftovers. And he said, pick up, you know, every piece, don't leave one piece behind. And I think that's how he he sees us leave nothing behind. I, I can use all of it for my good and my glory. And I can take that. I can take those struggles and you can connect with others who feel like they need to hide. They need to try to figure it all out on their own and then come to me. And that's not what he says. He, he wants us to come with, with the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, you know, I know for me, my ugly was ugly. <laughs> and so he was okay with that. He's okay with our ugly. And um, that just makes me grateful to be alive. It makes me grateful to be sitting here with you. I think back to myself. 11 years ago, and I get a little emotional thinking about that girl, thinking about that woman who was really struggling and just could not see the light of day. And to see where God has brought me 11 years later um, and to know that his faithfulness has been there my entire life from my childhood, even now to an adult, um, I don't know where I would be. I don't know where I would be without him. And I think of those who struggle every day and they don't know they don't know the real hope they don't know the love and they desperately they just need to hear like i needed to hear from my youth pastor there is a purpose mm-hmm. and a plan for your life
0: yeah there's a couple of things that you mentioned that I think are going to really resonate with people and I want to touch on them. One is that you denied feeling anxious and depressed. And the other one is that you told others all you have to do is read your Bible. Can we talk about those for a quick moment? Why did you deny it? What was was it what was the motivating factor of denying what you experienced?
1: I think the motivating factor was that I was terrified if people knew that I was struggling with anxiety and depression, that they were going to reject me, that they were going to think less of me because they may begin to think, oh, she's really not this put together leader. She's really not. uh, She really doesn't have all these things together, you know, and that I I really thought they would begin to see um, behind the mask. And I was afraid to let people see the real me. And I was afraid to let people in because I really did think if they knew who I really was, they would not want to be my friend. They would not want to be a part of my life. And I think because I had experienced rejection so early on and I didn't deal with it, you know, I just kind of pushed it down and hit it. I didn't know how to deal with it. And I began to believe those lies. You know, we tell ourselves these lies. If you tell They're going to turn their back on you. If you tell, um, they're going to think that you're, you're crazy, you know, and these are all lies, but it was easy for me to believe that. It was so easy for me to believe that. And I think, you know, too, because I had told so many people that what they were dealing with was not real. I had told them, you know, I had thought I, let's just be honest here. I thought less of them because I thought they were, feeling sorry for themselves and just being weak and, you know, just not wanting to just deal with life. And then I began to realize I had it completely wrong. And I think I was embarrassed too, you know, that I had treated so many people that way. And I do want to pause and just say for anyone listening, if you had been met with those words, like I had met others with, I just want to say to you, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that those words have been spoken over you because that's not true. Um, You're not feeling sorry for yourself. What you are dealing with is so real and is such a big struggle. And I just want you to know that, that, that those things that they, those people say, they don't realize what they're saying and the hurt that they're causing. So I hope that's okay to just take that moment and pause there and say that, because I think People need to know that, you know, and and just to just stand in the gap and say, I'm so sorry because I can see the faces of the people that I said that to. I can see their faces and and I I regret those words. And I'm thankful that God has allowed me to go back and to apologize. But, you know, sometimes we just don't realize what we're saying or doing to people. We think we're helping them by dismissing what they're going through, but, but we're dismissing it. And we're causing them to think, "Well, I just need to continue to hide, continue to not tell." Um, so, I hope that answered part of that that question. It was just that fear of rejection and knowing how I had treated others, and and I didn't want to be treated that way.
0: Mm. That's really powerful. Thank you for being so vulnerable with us. You mentioned that you were a leader. <clears throat> were you a leader in your church or in community? Is that what the what you were referring to?
1: Yes, I was a leader in our church. My husband and I were uh, over worship ministry. We were the worship leaders at our church. And actually for I know I had already previously spoken of our the youth minister that had done so much, you know, to speak into my life. We were now the worship leaders at his church that he had just started. And so you would have thought that I could have gone to him and told him these things that I was going through. But I didn't. I didn't tell until till after the fact, after I began to kind of come up out of it. Um, so we were worship leaders. I was also uh, a leader within our community. Um, I had a business of my own, and my daughter, who is thirteen now, she was two at the time, living her best toddler life, and I was running my business from within my my home. And so, anything that I was involved in, I was a leader. You know, I was able to just, I wore that title. Um, I was a master of the mask for that position, and I thought, you know, if I'm a leader. If I will just, you know, wear this title, no one will know that I'm struggling. No one will know all these things that I'm going through again, because I, I had convinced myself that if I was struggling, I was doing something wrong when that, you know, that's not true, but don't we do that? We convince ourselves if we're struggling and
0: messing up,
1: then we, we have to be doing something wrong.
0: Yeah, it's so true. If, if anything is hard, it must be our yeah. fault. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't, you know, it could be mental health. It could be the dishes. If anything yes. is hard, we, it must be our fault. Why do we do that, Karis? I don't know. That's...
1: I don't know. You know, if we could just say it's it's supposed to be hard. You know, some things are just supposed to be hard and we have to kind of work through the hard. And I know that gets messy and that gets a little scary, but... You know, when you get to the other side of the hard, man, it just, it makes you look at life differently. The, the anxiety and the depression that I struggled with and that I, that I went through, it caused me to see people as real human beings with real emotions, real life, real struggles. And I began to just feel more compassion and I think that's how Jesus lived his life. You know, he walked around, he, he came here, he was, you know, around those that um, others, religious people would not be around. And I think he felt their, compa- their hurt. He felt their struggles and he wanted to love them. And so even though what I went through was painful, it allowed me to, to see people with compassion and to love them and to say, and you're not alone. You're not alone. And and I think just knowing those things that I'm not alone, it's not just me, like other women, other men, other people in ministry are struggling. That takes the pressure off a little bit to have to be perfect to be in ministry. And it allows us to see that's where God really shines through our weakness because it's not us that they see or feel it's him. It's his love and his presence. And so that's one thing that, that I have learned through going through these struggles is to see that it does make us more connected
0: with one another. Yeah. Yeah. My church hosted a Mental Health Sunday last week, and one of the illustrations that was used um, was about the key to resilience of being connected and how that helps people remain resilient or strengthens resiliency. And the demonstration was um, this big, strong guy was um, lifting weights, and no one would ever tell that this big, strong guy, he he's weak, and no one would ever say the weights that he was lifting is you know, um, too much. Like that's, you know, I mean, not enough. So, you know, as they added weight, this big, strong guy was not able to curl these weights. And, and the pastor say, you know, is this, I forget his name. I'm just going to call him Matt. Is Matt weak? No, no one would ever say this, but yeah, he can't lift this. Why? So if he can't lift this, what does that mean? And they're like, it needs means he needs help. You need a spotter. And so they brought in other people to spot and lift it with him. And and the illustration was just demonstrating that it's hard. It's hard. We are not meant to lift that those weights, the weight of the world or the the struggle that we're going through. Um, That doesn't mean you're weak. It just means it's hard and we are never meant to carry it on our own anyway. And it was just such a beautiful illustration demonstrating what you were talking about, how things are hard and we're not meant to deal with those alone. And I would love to hear your journey, your how you kind of walked out and, and eventually shared what you were experiencing.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> I love that. I love that that image of him with the weight and then the then bringing people out to help him, building that that community. And realizing help is not a bad word. I always tell people help is not a four-letter word. I mean, I know it's a four-letter word, but you know what I mean. It's not a bad word. It's actually, you know, the way we were intended to live life. For me, hitting that rock-bottom moment was actually, I had ended up having a miscarriage. I I lost a baby. I was around 100 pounds, and I was just struggling because I was trying to numb this pain, that anxiety, and depression had caused me to feel in my life instead of dealing with it, I I was trying to numb it and ignoring it. So I tried to starve it by doing that. So I wasn't eating. And then I had that miscarriage and man, I just was like, I was it. That was it for me because it was, it was these thoughts in my head, you know, look what you did to that little life, you know, and that was just losing a, a baby, losing a child, you know, that's just at any point, it's just a hard But when that happened, I remember my doctor. She was so gentle and sweet with me. And, And she said, Karis, you know, I think you need some help. I think you need some help. You know, what you're dealing with, anxiety and depression, things that are going on in your brain, these imbalances of your hormones is a real thing. And just as if you were to have had a broken bone, and you were come to me and asked me for help, or this high blood pressure or heart disease, and I told you to do these things, take this medicine, go to this additional doctor, you know, she asked me, would you do those things? And I said, yes, I would, I wouldn't argue with you. And so she kind of, you know, paused and said, well, trust, trust me in this you know, that, that this is going to help you. And, you know, she gave me a list of, of counselors and I had actually met a counselor in my area a couple of months before all that had happened. Like God had already just ordained my steps and took care of, of placing those people already in my life. I connected with that counselor in a really powerful moment. And so I was able to tell my doctor, I have a counselor that I've already been able to meet and, and I began to see her and, um, you know, take the medication that the doctor had told me to take. And I remember the first few moments, first few uh, meetings with my counselor, all I did was cry. Like I would just go and I would sit on her couch and just cry. And then I would leave and I felt so much better. I felt (laughs) relief. I had the same experience.
0: The first couple you're just like (gasps) unloading. There's just something about it. You just cry.
1: (laughs) Yes. And I I remember thinking she didn't judge me. She didn't like, you know, point a finger and shame me. She just listened. And it was just the most glorious thing, you know, for me to kind of see those lies that I had been believing that they really were lies and that it was okay. It was okay to talk about the mess. It was okay to talk about the struggle. And that was very freeing for me. But I also began to see that the medication that my doctor had put me on it was making a difference. My daughter had a birthday party during all of this season. And it was at, um, we call it a bounce house, a jumpy house where they have these big inflatables. Okay. And so that in itself will make anybody <laughs> feel anxiety. And so we were there with a bunch of toddlers. And I remember my daughter asked me to go down one of the slides with her. And previously to that, I never would have done that because I had to look. Like everything was put together and no, no uh, perfectly put together (laughs) leader and businesswoman would ever go down a bounce house slide. (laughs) And I remember when she asked me to go down, I told her, yes. And we're climbing up the slide and I got to the top and everyone was taking pictures and I thought they were taking pictures of her. And they say, Kara, smile, we're taking pictures of you because they saw this change in me And they wanted to remember that moment, and that it still gives me chills to think about that. I'm like, you got me welled up here listening. I was like, oh my god! It was just, and I still remember. And we went down that slide, and that was one of the most fun things. And just for me to see, these are all these things I needed. All those things to begin to feel that healing. And restoration. And a a few days later, a friend of mine invited us over for my daughter to have a play date. And she asked me how I was doing. And, you know, typically, what do we say? Oh, I'm good. I'm fine. How are you? Like we deflect and avoid. And I remember telling her, I'm not doing good. I'm having a hard time with anxiety and depression. And I kid you not, tears in her eyes. She breathed a sigh of relief and she said, You too? And I was like, yeah, me too. And she told me, she said, I thought you had it all together, but I'm so glad you don't. <laughs> and I, we just started laughing and we shared our, what we were going through, our struggles, and we felt encouraged. And God just began to use that for me and to say, how did that feel to know you're not alone and to know that it's okay, you know, to talk about it. And so then Through that, I began to realize we need to be talking about this. And this was 10 or 11 years ago before the church had really, you know, talked about mental health and talked about these issues. And so I think that was the moment that God kind of lit a fire under me to say, share, share your story, share your struggles. It doesn't have to be perfect. You may get emotional, you may cry, but there's freedom in us sharing these struggles. And he led me to the verse Galatians 6, 2 that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I had never read that before. I never knew that verse. And it was like, okay, to bear each other's burdens, we got to talk about them. We got to share them. You know, and there's no caveat in there that says, um, if you are a leader, you're not, you can't bear your burdens. Uh, None of that's there. We're all to bear. Our burdens, you know, and help one another, you know, fulfill that law of Christ because God knew we needed community. We needed each other. And so I think in that moment, that's where I began to kind of share a little bit. I started telling my story. Um, I was already a speaker within the business world. And so I would somehow be able to get in there about the struggles that I was dealing with to connect it. And people would come up to me afterwards and they would say, you know, they would whisper, thank you. That's me. I, it, it helps me to know that it's not just me. And then I would, you know, churches, I begin to be able to share with women's groups and conferences. And uh, when they would all come up to me afterwards and just share parts of their stories with tears in their eyes to just know. I, and they would always say, I thought it was only me. I thought it was only me. They didn't realize that there are literally hundreds of millions of us who are struggling, but we just believe that it is just us. Um, And so, you know, speaking in speaking about it, taking that mask off, finding that freedom, God just began to just do a work over these past 10 years. And it's a it's a humbling thing when someone comes to you and they say, that's me or that's my story, you know, and just, to you know, of all ages from kids to grown women and even grown businessmen, um, just to know that they feel encouraged and that they feel hope. It's just to be a part of that, to see God's hand move and work, it is emotional. It brings tears to my eyes to just think about it every single time.
0: Can we put this into action? Can we name some of these things and say, it is not a sin, or this is, you are not cast away because you're experiencing and then let, can we list some of these just because oftentimes we're scared to say the word suicide or we're scared to say the words, you know, self harm or cutting or we're scared, these words when they're not spoken have power, but when we speak them and and speak truth over them and that, you know, can, can you identify a little bit about those things that you experienced just so that we can name them. So people don't feel like, oh, she, she probably experienced anxiety depression, but she didn't experience this or that. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Yes. I would definitely say, you know, anxiety, depression, I did have suicidal thoughts. Um, I struggled with that. And that was very scary to find myself there, you know, because I grew up in the church. I grew up in the church and here I am having these thoughts, you know, um, to, to do something, to, to harm myself, um, you know, I would look at the bottle of medication that my doctor had given me or, you know, I would even driving a car sometimes, having those images flash, you know, up near my head, just, you know, drive off the side of the road. I mean, those things were... Were scary, you know, to have that hit me. Um, I can. I was trying to sit here and think for a moment. Um.
0: I think you just even naming those is so powerful. To say that you know you're God's beloved, you're not. You know, these things are lies. These are temptations that are lies. This is not of God and you are a beloved of God. This doesn't disqualify you from the family of God, from leadership in any way.
1: And that's it. It doesn't disqualify. I think that's a, a great thing to point out. It doesn't disqualify us. You know, uh, Peter and John in the book of Acts, you know, they were described as uneducated, ordinary men and they were filled Could with the Holy Couldn't relate anymore. Spirit. Right. <laughs> I always go back to that uneducated, ordinary. That's me too. Okay. Uh, And uh, I've seen other scriptures call them common. You know, they, they were common, but they, when they were around people, people noticed that they were filled with the Holy spirit and that they could, you know, sense Jesus from them. And so, um, if they were alive during our days, that tells me that, uh, according to certain people, they may be unqualified, but not, not to God, um, you know, and he would use them and, and uh, use them to be world changers. It wasn't in their own strength and power, but it was through them leaning in on God, you know, leaning in on him. And so I also go back to Jesus. You know, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he died on the cross, Jesus said out loud how he was feeling. Um, you can go look in Mark 14, and Jesus said it out loud that he, his soul was overwhelmed to the point of death to the point of sorrow. So if Jesus can say out loud that he's feeling overwhelmed and we know he, was, he knew no sin, then for us to be honest and to say, I am feeling overwhelmed, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling depressed, and to know that we can take that to God and be honest in that moment, and that was another thing that was really freeing for me to see that Jesus understood and that if he didn't have to hide and if he needed to go to God and talk about those things and just be just totally transparent and vulnerable, how much more do I need that? You know, and, and, and we don't see anywhere in scripture where Jesus said that to God and then God didn't point his finger and shame him. He didn't say, well, wait a minute, this changes everything. I mean, <laughs> God's plan continued on and Jesus went he did die on the cross. And we know that God strengthened him in that moment of vulnerability. And so I I think that that's okay. And I think that that's another thing we need to realize that we need to be honest with God where we're at. He knows. He already knows. So saying it out loud takes that power of those lies of wanting us to hide, wanting us to, you know, um, not be honest about where we are. It removes the power of those lies and allows God's truth and love to come in and minister
0: to our hearts in that moment. So 10 years ago or 13 years ago, this was, you know, what was happening in your life. Um, You mentioned seeking counseling and medication and building a community of support around you. Um, Can you give us a glimpse of kind of what's transpired over the last few years? And then I want to make sure that you share this amazing resource that you've turned this season of sorrow and suffering into hope for other people.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, So yeah, the counseling was very helpful for me and and my doctor and having that community of, of safe people. You know that I knew that I could reach out to and and say, "Hey, this is what's going on." Um, Those were were very important things for me to learn that I needed in my life, and I didn't have to any longer try to go through life alone and pretend to be something that I wasn't. That you know, so those were very freeing moments for me. I also learned good practical coping skills, like all these things that I had taught myself since I was a kid um, were were not healthy ways to to go through difficult things, you know, that I learned, Hey, when these struggles come, I don't have to be afraid of the anxiety or the, the racing heartbeat or the breathlessness, you know, that I might feel or those thoughts racing through my mind that I could remember to pause and take good deep breaths and that I could practice gratitude. You know, journaling was another huge part of those coping skills for me that I learned Um you know, learning to, to get active and to have that, that exercise, you know, that so I could burn that fuel. Um, and, and to remember practical things too, like if, if I've had two cups of coffee, I might not need the third one, you know, because that caffeine may trigger, you know, that anxiety in me. Um, but to also remember, you know, people always ask me, okay, have you, are you completely overcome? Have you completely, do you ever struggle with anxiety or depression anymore? And I always wish I could say no, <laughs> but I, I can't, no. you know, I still have yes. those days in those moments, yeah. but those moments don't turn into explosions mm-hmm. any longer. You know, I, I allow that moment maybe to happen. I acknowledge that it's there. I use those coping skills and I'll, I'll be honest with God in that. And it helps me to push through to the other side. And so since all of that has Has happened and transpired and and I'm learning and growing and I I feel like our mental health is just like our physical health. It is a daily journey. It's a daily process and we have to keep learning and we have to keep growing. So I, I am and and I want to continue to learn and grow. But through speaking, people begin to ask, hey, do you have resources? Do you have a book? And I did it. I never saw myself as a writer. I don't know if you're doing anything in your life right now where you thought, Oh, I would never I'll never do this. And <laughs> this, then God is this like podcast. Okay. Is
0: <laughs> I said I would never do I fought it for two years. I love it. And now oh, here we
1: are. Here God we are. Like, wait just a second let me show you what you're going to do and so he did that to me um by the way never argue with God because you're not going to <laughs> win. Gotta I mean, lose <laughs> you're gonna lose and so I began to write and I ended up writing um, an adult book to begin with called anxiety elephants and it's just a 31-day devotional and it came out December of 2019 and then 2020 happened mm-hmm. And that's all we're going to say about 2020 yeah and so God did begin to use that book and that in many ways that I never would have imagined or dreamed. And I was speaking in schools and my daughters, you know, they began to talk to me. They had their own copy of the adult book. They were proud of mom. And, but they came to me and they said, "Will you write a version with words, our age can understand. And that's when God began to bring those moments back to me of when the anxiety began when those unhealthy coping skills really took root in my life. And uh, it was like, why are we waiting? Why are we waiting for them to be adults and then talk to them about their mental health, then teach them and equip them, you know, with how to respond when we can equip them right now, we can empower this younger generation right now with, with healthy, biblical coping skills that they can use because they are being bombarded With anxious thoughts and anxious feelings, I mean, we can just look at what's going on in the world. I mean, they are these kids are very smart, and they see, they know there are some things you know that are not okay, and so that does cause them to feel anxiousness. So instead of them belittling themselves and beating themselves up, well, let's go ahead and equip them and empower them. And so recently, we I did have published um, anxiety elephants for tween boys and tween girls that eight to 12 year old range 13 and 14 year olds have even asked for this book um, because they are like we i need it they just you know we're we're struggling i'm having a difficult time and so god has just begun to use this 90 day resource daily devotional to just begin to encourage this younger generation and as i have been able to go back into schools and and get back you know face to face and in churches conferences It is so just mind boggling to me when these kids will come up to me, boys and girls, it's not just girls, it's boys as well. And they'll say, "Um, this is what I've been struggling with, but I didn't know what it was. And and they couldn't put words to it. They knew what it felt like, but now they can put words to it and now they can respond to it because it's not where it causes them to feel afraid anymore. They're like, i I can do this. These are some things that God has taught me, you know, that I can use. And so I've just been so grateful to the Lord that He has allowed this resource to be here right now for such a time as this. And can you imagine if our tweens learn how to respond to anxiety, how to respond to these anxious thoughts and feelings right now? Where are they going to be? There's no limit. I know, and it just, it, it gives me, I'm just yeah. so excited yeah. to think, oh man, God is yeah. just going to like use this generation. Like yes. they're empowered now for the battle because yeah. yeah. we know our kids, as much as we would love to, to hide our kids away from battles, yes. we know we can't, No, we can't hide them from the battle. So let's prepare them and e- equip them to face the battle. And mm. yes, we'll walk through it with them together, but they need to be prepared and equipped Mm. and that just, I mean, man, that
0: excites me to think about that. Yeah. It's so powerful. Mm. I was telling my daughter who is 11. Yeah about our conversation. And she was like, can I get the book, mom? Can I get the book? So Aww. she's quite excited. So we're, we've ordered it or we're ordering it. And yeah. uh, definitely she's excited to get it. And um, among my friends, I don't know very many who don't have kids who are struggling in some capacity in this area. Okay. Um it doesn't, you know, regardless of background or experience, this is this is something um, that I think every kid, and I'm going to be reading along with them, uh, <laughs> creating conversations. These are great table yes. conversations. I think we'll ha- be able to have, my younger daughter is not quite um, into the reading as uh, she's not as strong of a reader. So I think sure. we'll be doing it together.
1: I, um, and the book was written for both of those options. If you have... Um, A tween that wants to read it by themselves, it's written to them so they can, but you can also um, read it as a family, you know, do the devotional together because it does give words to moms and dads that maybe they didn't know what to ask. They didn't know how to start a conversation. And so it's going to give your kids that um, courage to have those conversations with you or you the questions that you need to ask to kind of really open that door for them. And, you know, also in the devotional, it gives them a daily action step. It's called a stomp step, like they're stomping out those anxiety elephants, but just to help them to see one tiny action, you know, that that can compound over time. And just, you know, when you struggle or you're dealing with anxiety, it's difficult to know what to do. You can be paralyzed in fear, paralyzed in those anxious thoughts. And so those tiny little steps are there to just give them that ability to just try that one thing. Uh, And it could be writing on the journal page or talking to mom and dad about um, being bullied at school, you know, just different things like that. And so just to give them that courage. I I call it building your courage muscle to help them to do that and to see that it's okay to talk about those struggles and those hard things so they don't teach themselves to hide and to ignore, but to acknowledge and to walk through. I
0: love it. So strong, so powerful. So thank you. Thank you so much for giving me the tool Mm -hmm. to be able to bring language to and have the conversation with my kids that I may not have been able to have. So I'm so grateful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, So looking back, um, considering where you are today and all the lessons you've learned, um, what would you, if you could look back or send yourself an email or a letter, what would you tell your previous self? Oh, man. That's a good question.
1: I, I would tell my previous self That you don't have to hide anymore. It's not just you struggling. That everyone is struggling and having a hard time. And your struggles do not stop God from using you. I think I would tell my previous self to let people in. Let people love you. And to see yourself The way God sees you and he sees us and he calls us his sons and his daughters and he loves us. So love yourself. Love yourself. Remove the pressure. Come as you are. Let God use you as you are. And walk in that purpose that he has for your life.
0: Hey, thanks for listening. If what you've heard today was helpful, I would love it if you could write a review. It would really help others find the podcast more easily. And if you want to be notified when new episodes go live, make sure you follow. Thanks and take care.